All right, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Chopping It Up with P. Scott. I'm Prescott Kelly. Today is Monday, May 29th. Happy Memorial Day. Hope you guys had a great Memorial Day weekend and continue to if you have today off. I unfortunately have to work. And I don't even just mean this gig. I got a real job. Put in this work, then we got 11-hour days after this. So, Jamar Chase is trying to chase that bag. Boston Celtics, Miami Heat game seven. DeAndre Hopkins gets cut. And I'm sure a few more things sprinkled in as well. Thank you guys for joining us. Make sure that you continue to support my dude Dolo J of the Kicking the Dolo podcast on both YouTube and Spotify. My dude Matt Zabrowski of the Clearly Unclear podcast as well on Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, review. Give us them five stars. Some Yahoo on iTunes decided to give me a four. I don't know who that person is, but I don't like you. Anyway, where to start, where to start, where to start. I mean, I could go football because that kind of runs this country. I don't know. I think I think Heat Celtics game seven deserves some of our attention right now. And it's not necessarily because it hasn't gotten its own publicity, if you will. Game sevens are always going to be huge. Game sevens are always going to be built up to be, what do we say? It's the greatest two words in sports, game seven. Now, I told you guys at the beginning of both the Western and Eastern Conference series that I felt like Lakers and Nuggets would be more competitive. And if any series had a chance to go seven, it would be Heat Celtics because of just how hot and cold Boston can be. Tatum's been awesome the last two games. When the Celtics are hitting their shots, they're real tough to beat, and that's why this is a seven-game series. This is why it's a best of seven. Thought you'd get a couple, you get a couple blowouts, and not that I'm trying to say that I knew this would go seven games, but I, I feel like if either one of these had a potential two, it would be this one. Here we are, game seven, and people are thinking that the Miami Heat are freaking out now. I don't think they are. I don't think professional athletes generally look at this the way that we do as fans. Because we as fans, you can, any Yahoo has a camera, they think that they're a photographer. Any Yahoo can have a microphone and think that they're in sports radio. Hell, you're listening to one of those jokers right now. But because there are so many people who are obsessed with sports, and because it is a content machine that needs to be pumped out daily, if not even hourly, if you will, we as fans through social media, the sports media in general, flip-flop, make up narratives, make up stories, and try to build their own brand as opposed to maybe just thinking out what the people that are involved are actually doing. Because we always want to talk about pressure. Who's the pressure on? It's game seven. Who's the pressure on? Is it on Miami because they lost three in a row? Is it Boston now because they're, they've won three in a row now? And it's game seven in their building and the pressure's back on them. They're both feeling the same amount of pressure. NBA finals are on the line. I think that you obviously want to win every game. The the point is to win every time you're out there, but you have to have the discipline and the perspective to know that you're not going to win every single game. It's just not, it's not possible. And it's unreasonable to think that that is going to be your outcome every time that you do step out there. Again, you would like it to be that way. You're going to play like it's supposed to, but you have to be able to be smart enough to realize we're not going to win every game. As long as we get this series, however we get there, that's what's important. The grand scheme of things, game seven is game seven, regardless of how you get there. Win three in a row or lose three in a row. Win two, 
lose one, then you win one, lose two. Like it doesn't matter how you do the math. It's game seven regardless. And I think for Miami specifically, they're looking at this from the the, the standpoint of we weren't supposed to be here anyways, but we have a plan to try to get to where we want to be. Until we're not there anymore, the plan's still working. So look, if Miami loses this game, you can always look back on this episode and say, well, they didn't want it bad enough. They all want it bad enough. Look at certain games and say, well, this team quit. Boston had one of those games. They quit. No, I think what they realized is they still had time to figure stuff out. Shots aren't falling. We're not playing well. But that doesn't mean that the series is over. And Miami's in the same boat. Hey, we haven't played great the last two, three games. Jimmy Butler, he's, he's trying to do the, the superstar thing to do. Say, it's all on me if I play better. This series is over. And you, like, you want the leader of your team to say that, but like, it's not just him, though. The fact that Miami has, like, what, five, six, seven undrafted players and they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, that's pretty ridiculous. So I always come back to the fact of whenever it comes to narratives, you're going to create whichever one you want to based on an outcome. And whichever side of the coin you want to be on. So if Boston wins, it's going to be Miami choked. They weren't ready for it. They didn't have the players. But like four games ago, Jimmy Butler was the best person on the planet, the best player in the playoffs. If Miami wins, it's Boston still can't do it. Boston's got to, it's Missoula's got to be gone. You got to blow up the squad. You can't get any further with Tatum. And it just depends on what you want to do. However, this plans out and however the game shakes out, you'll have a different opinion now than you did before game six, before game five, et cetera, et cetera. And again, if playoff Jimmy turns back into playoff Jimmy, it's going to be like, yo, he took, he was just taking a couple days off because they knew it was seven game series. Okay. And if Boston goes off in a hot streak again, it's going to be Tatum's that dude. He's got that dog and he missed that Kobe mentality, rah, 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 whatever, whatever nonsense you want to throw out there. But what it really comes down to is at this point in time, judging by the way that both of these teams are playing, Denver looks like they're going to win this whole thing anyways. Brings me to my next point of game one. It's going to be rest versus rust. What if whoever wins this series wins game one against Denver? Gets, ah, Denver's rusty. No, no, okay, maybe it didn't play well. If Denver wins, it's obvious because they were more rested. Stop making up narratives off of the outcome. Think for yourself. Whatever you think is going to happen, stick with it. You got your swim trunks and your flippy floppies with your opinions. Let's just try to be a little bit more consistent, shall we? Now, obviously, there's time before anything has to get done with Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins. We got time. The Bengals have time. But one of the things I've been touching on over the past, I don't know, three or four months or so, I guess, is the folks that are just saying, because how good the Bengals are right now and because of the offensive firepower that they have, that they're just going to be able to run this thing back and continue to do that. Well, the time on that time bomb has just about ticked out, at least to win a Super Bowl with this core. Because it looks like Jamar Chase, when whenever he does get re-signed, he's chasing a $30 million a year contract. He's probably going to get it. T. Higgins is looking for about four years, 100 mil. He's probably going to get it. Joe Burrow is looking for about a 45-ish million dollar year contract. 
and he's going to get it. But are they all going to be with the exact same team? Now, Joe Burrow, to me, is the one that's getting paid. If you're picking between Joe Burrow and then two wide receivers, you're going to pay the quarterback, and you're probably going to pay one of those wide receivers. And I mentioned this either last episode or the episode beforehand, where if you value T. Higgins as a guy who can give you similar production to Jamar Chase, but can save about five, six, seven million million a year, you sign T. Higgins, and then you trade Jamar Chase because you don't want to lose him for nothing, right? You don't want to let him just walk and be a free agent. I think that it's hard to tell what's going to happen because, again, Cincinnati has time. And to me, it really depends on how smart are the guys behind the books for Cincinnati. Because if you want to keep all three of these guys, you are going to have to get creative. The Rams have done it. There's other teams that have manipulated the salary cap because also we've talked about it here. The salary cap largely doesn't matter. We've seen like the Saints have been $70 million over the cap, which is absurd because they were trash. I know that I have the tendency to sometimes say some outlandish things on here, but most of the things that I do say come to fruition. Now, if, if Cincinnati is able to get super creative with their books, draft really well some more, not have to pay other dudes in their team, and then really centrally focus on this offensive core, maybe they can keep it together. That's a pretty big if, though, because if those if those numbers are true, and those numbers are legitimately 45 mil, 30, and 25 for Burrow, uh, Chase, and Higgins, respectively, it's $100 million in salary cap you're paying to three dudes. The thing is that they're all still young enough to be able to secure a second bag. And I know that salary caps are going up. But if you if you really are trying to keep these three guys together for as long as you can, good luck. Good luck being able to do it two times. You know, with another, you know, you might see a, a Burrow extension kind of similar to Patrick Mahomes, because right now Patrick Mahomes is like the seventh or eighth highest paid quarterback in the NFL, which by the metrics would show you he's over, he's overvalued, underpaid. To have the best quarterback and have him be the seventh paid highest, that's that's good business. And if the Chiefs are lucky that they don't have to restructure his contract and Patrick Mahomes doesn't want to, they're still going to run that joint. They're still going to run the AFC for however long Patrick Mahomes wears a Kansas City Chief jersey. But when we think about well-run organizations, we don't think about the Bengals. We don't think about them having enough, enough wherewithal years from now to be able to fix this and keep it going. We've always thought about them as largely a historic failure. They had a good run in the 80s for a bit. Then they were doo-doo butter. Then they had like the Carson Palmer, Ocho Cinco, Hushmanzada years where they were good and relevant and made the playoffs, but nobody really thought of them as a championship contender, really. The Bengals have also been traditionally cheap when it comes to paying players. Now, maybe the narrative changes on that because now they see how quickly they were able to get turned around. I just don't see this move happening. I don't see how you can keep all three guys because we're looking at this as a snapshot of just these three guys playing this well right now. There are other dudes you're going to have to pay. There's a, there's a pretty good chance that other guys that you sign, offensive linemen, edge rushers, guys in your secondary, they're going to outperform their contract as well, and then they're going to get paid. 
and you got to start the cycle over again, or you got to pay them too. Again, I haven't seen the track record with Cincinnati be long enough for me to be able to believe that they can make this work, especially off those three numbers on annual salary that people, of, of what has been reported. Just, just saying, said this other week, I do believe that if they value T. Higgins as much as they do, but they don't have to pay him as much, they should keep him and trade Jamar Chase and then draft another wide receiver. That's the way I think they should play us. Either draft one or sign with a free agency that's maybe a little bit older that you can get some kind of production from to replace what Higgins was. Because if Higgins is your, is your, if he's your number one now and he's eating at the targets that Jamar Chase is getting, you can pay another guy to get T. Higgins type of production. And that's how you stay relevant. And that's how you stay good for as long as Kansas City has been. So DeAndre Hopkins gets cut by the Cardinals. And all of a sudden, if you Google DeAndre Hopkins 2, you'll find 31 other teams. There's a rumor about every place. But I saw something that kind of made me laugh. And it said that DeAndre Hopkins wants to go to a contender. Uh, The Chiefs, the Bills, or the Bears. And I'm looking at this, look, I like what Chicago's done. But if you are saying you want to play for a contender, you've either got to pick one of those two first teams, or you can just say you want to play for Chicago because of other reasons. But that C that's on the Bears helmet does not stand for contender. And I think what we try to do too much is trying to get in the pocket of these players and try to dictate what makes them happy. So DeAndre Hopkins, is he's what, 30? 31 now the likeliness of him getting a Super Bowl ring is extremely low unless he takes a massive pay cut and goes to a team like the Bills Bengals Chiefs Eagles uh, Niners some someplace like that if his true goal is to just win a Super Bowl and then right off into the sunset that's the way you got to do it maybe Maybe money is still important to him. We forget that the money matters. We always want players to take pay cuts, but you wouldn't take a pay cut at your job just because. And I understand that the money is different. There's a generational wealth and us listening and us doing this. It's not. But to me, it's still relative. It's still you try to get as much money as you can in whatever you're doing for as long as you can. But what about legacy? Maybe DeAndre Hopkins just doesn't care about legacy. I don't think that we should care either. He was looked at as one of the best wide receivers in the NFL for like a five or six, seven year stretch. He's had some down years, had some injuries. Arizona's been also a dumpster fire. You can understand where that production would drop off, right? But we also saw what he was doing before he got to Sean Watson. So we know what kind of player he was, what he can be when he's right. But maybe the money is more important than the legacy. Where he goes is going to kind of show what his thought process is. What is the most important thing to him? And if it wants to be a ring, if it wants it, and there's no guarantee it'll happen anyways. So there's that. If it, this, that'll be the narrative too. If he signs with Kansas City, let's just say, and they don't win a ring, it's going to be, ha, look at you trying to chase a ring like Carl Malone with the Lakers. Or any, any other example that you want to use. Or, if he chooses the money, 
It's you're a sellout. You talk about winning, but what you wanted was the money. These dudes, all these people that are in this high of a position of, of public figure are in a lose-lose situation anyways, because they're going to please some people with the decision and they're, they're going to get ridiculed and crucified by others. So if you were to sign with Chicago today, let's just hypothetically say that, that fan base is going to be absolutely absurd to deal with until opening day. They're going to be talking about how they're going to win the North, how they've made enough moves where they're Super Bowl favorites and like what you, because that's how fans work. We're reactionary and overreactionary as all get out. And if he goes to Kansas City, it's, well, chalk up another one for Mahomes. But again, if some if something weird happens, Mahomes gets injured, or whatever, right? Whatever narrative you want to. DeAndre Hopkins can only win in the, the eye of public opinion, in the public court of law, is he has to not give his services away for free, but also not go to Kansas City, Buffalo, Philly, a place like that. In my opinion, the only way that he wins the entire transaction, he has to go to a team that's like a mid-level, like you could even throw Dallas in there and he'd still get ridiculed because it's the Cowboys. The thing about the NFL is that the AFC is so stacked if you if you on paper put DeAndre Hopkins anywhere, it makes them look instantly better. And we're automatically going to put them as Super Bowl favorites or at least a contender. The NFC, that's a completely different story. For me, the way that he wins everything is he's not going to get $30 million a year anyways. He's not going to get that Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs type money. And honestly, he probably shouldn't. Still has to prove that he's worth like at least even an OBJ deal. If it's like a one-year, 15, 18-ish million dollar a year deal, it's going to show that you're in decline, quote unquote. But isn't that kind of the number that we put players on? Once you get to that 30, 31, you don't think you're worth the money anyways? Yeah, if you put the, the perfect culmination of making a salary relative to where you should be placed at and winning a Super Bowl with a team that wasn't supposed to win one, that's the only way that he wins every single aspect of whatever transaction that he ends up going with. All right. And with that being said, we are unfortunate to hang it up for the day. I got about 15 more minutes. So I got to start work. So you guys know the drill. Tell your friends, but hide your kids, hide your wives. Make sure you smash those five-star reviews, like, share, rate, subscribe, review, all the good noise. You guys stay up, stay blessed. I'll catch you guys on the next one.